Welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this content at jimmysong.substack.com. Why Web Content Sucks, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 273. The internet runs on ads. This isn't an exaggeration. The biggest companies in the world profit not by creating useful goods for users, but selling users to advertisers. Google, Facebook, and to some degree, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon are all in the ad business. Back in the 80s and 90s, TV was the dominant form of advertising. Companies were said to have made it when they could run an ad on primetime TV. This changed in the aughts and tens when digital ads became a bigger thing, particularly with micro-targeting, which Google and Facebook pioneered. Further, there came to be a whole ecosystem of affiliate sites where a click-through to a purchase would result in a kickback. A shockingly large amount of web content is now funded through affiliate links. That is, through some sort of kickback for the products sold to their users, not by the users benefiting from the content. That, too, is a form of advertising, and ads are no small business. It's literally billions of dollars, and the people that optimize ads make lots of money essentially selling user data to companies that want to sell to them. This may seem very capitalistic and, in a sense, good. Here's the problem. The incentives are completely out of whack. Most of the content on the web is funded by affiliate marketing, so they're really critical of the products that they're getting kickbacks from. And if a topic has no easy path to monetization that is selling something, it really doesn't get explored that much or get much space on a typical website. Everything is geared toward not just getting your attention to view the ad, but also to get you to click through and buy the product that the ad promotes. Among other things, this means that if any popular... Uh, that all popular content gets copied to oblivion. After all, if a particular piece of content uh, drives a lot of views or affiliate kickbacks, then copying it should drive just as much traffic, ad revenue, and affiliate dollars. Hence, content on the web is not uh, just not that original or interesting. And if it is, it gets copied mercilessly until it's no longer original or interesting. There's also a huge incentive to produce an especially large volume of content. The content doesn't have to be good, but just good enough to get people to click. That is, the content has to be good enough for people to get addicted. Thus, journalism is geared towards stories that can be written or produced fast rather than stories that are true or useful. These days, many stories can be written completely by computer, removing even the little bit of human involvement from the equation. Finally, because clicks count so much, most content tends to be on platforms controlled by a big company. They have rules which unfortunately subject content creators to political pressure since these platforms are centralized. Hence, the content tends to please those in power. This is much more obvious in authoritarian countries like China, but it's also becoming more prevalent in the West with YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter censoring what they consider politically risky, even if the content would be popular. These platforms become the referees and get to pick winners and losers in much the same way government policy does. In a very real way, these companies are an arm of government. The good news is that new models are emerging. People are getting funded directly and more people are using email and other decentralized means to distribute their content. Indeed, the best content tends to not be on control platforms, but in newsletters published by a single person. We're strangely going back to the initial days of the web when content creators and their audience would get to communicate directly.
And that direct communication is a lot closer to how humans have interacted over thousands of years. The one-way broadcast model is a 20th century phenomenon, and the internet started to bring back the direct communication. Unfortunately, the last 20 years have swung the pendulum back, and we're now beginning to make the content more decentralized again. The good news is that we have tools this time to make, make the decentralization stick. Instead of ads, we have the means to do micropayments and fund content producers directly with Bitcoin. This is ultimately what will save the web. So it's important to remember that the web started out as this very decentralized thing, um, and we didn't have, you know, platforms or you know, content media basically, or places where all of that is hosted. Like, uh, and the last twenty years have sort of like pushed in that direction hard. So all videos are on YouTube, uh, blogs are on a particular place, uh, you know, WordPress or whatever. The, the thing that uh, Bitcoin brings back is this ability to connect that uh, person to person. And that's, I think, ultimately where we're going to be headed. And, uh, and that's a good thing because decentralized interaction is, uh, is what humans are used to. It, this one-way interaction is very unnatural and not really good for people. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin. Martin Habovstiak proposes uh, reusable taproot addresses. The idea is much like Bit47, which allows sending to the same person using different addresses, but the addresses are deterministic and able to be calculated by both the sender and receiver. This gives a significant amount of privacy as addresses are only known by the sender receiver and each pairing gets its own space of addresses. This way, the sender receiver don't need to interact for each transaction, making payments private and fast. The main difference with Bit47 is that it's using Taproot to create new addresses for unlocking. So the details are in the um, in the link, but basically it's a lot like Bit47. And what Bit47 did was make it so that uh, every uh, every if you wanted to send to somebody, you'd set up something. And then uh, all the addresses would be auto uh, created uh, using a shared secret. And there's a new way to do that using Taproot that's a lot more efficient. Um, and I expect that to become sort of something that uh, that people use. Um, Bit47 didn't really catch on. I, I think the only wallet that's ever implemented it, as far as I know, is uh, Samurai. Um, I, I think uh, Taproot uh, of Taproot version has a much better chance uh, for a variety of reasons. Porter from Unchained explains how to replace or upgrade hardware wallets. This is not a subject often talked about, but when a hardware device fails or is compromised, the procedures for recovery are not trivial. The post goes through what you should do and how you should do it if you have something that's compromised. Worth reading to be prepared, particularly in terms of having hardware on hand to remedy the situation. So um, this is something that I generally recommend to my clients when I am doing some security consulting. Um, make sure you have the exact same hardware just uh, sealed and blank somewhere, um, preferably near in multiple places so that you you uh, you have a way to, um, you know, like. Uh, redo everything if you need to uh if a hardware device fails then now you can you can uh you know you you have a means of uh creating another one that's very similar and so on the bitcoin machine is a hardware device by umbral for running your own lightning and bitcoin nodes 
The device is hardly anything new, but the nice innovation on this device is that it has a faceplate that displays the Bitcoin price and other data, making it attractive enough to put in a prominent place in your home. Instead of, say, block clock, you can run a full node at the same time, in other words. Uh, I expect every other manufacturer to follow this lead as it makes the device more physically functional. So um, Wi-Fi routers have gone down this route. It used to be like sort of like stuck in a closet somewhere, but then it didn't get very good uh, reception everywhere in the house and so on. So uh, Google and others sort of pioneered having more attractive sort of like displayable Wi-Fi routing devices. I think this is what's happening to the Bitcoin node. You can run your own node. You don't have to like sort of like leave it in a closet. You could put it on your desk and it'll display like the price or the block number or sats per dollar or something like that. I think that's way better and I expect that to become a thing. All right, let's talk about Lightning. Lightning Jet is an automatic channel rebalancer for LND nodes. It's Lightning node management software and has a lot of nice features. Of particular note is that it has a Telegram bot that can be installed, allowing you to be notified if something changes with your Lightning setup. Say a peer changes their fee structure. I'm not sure I want to use Telegram this way, but this is not a bad way to get notified. I would like to see something like this for my Bitcoin addresses, so I don't have to run a separate application. So, um, you know, the already there are sort of ways to notify yourself uh, uh, through an email if you, if some activity happens on your Bitcoin wallet or something like that. Um, I would like to see, you know, not just Telegram, but maybe text messages or something like that. So you, you have time to react. Um, and, you know, depending on the uh, threat model or whatever, you, you, you know, you can you can use that. Um, also, it's uh, it's a nice way to sort of like verify for yourself that, uh, you know, the transaction went through as you expected. All right. Dirgigi explains what busking is and how it's a new model without ads that is coming on the Internet. Busking is the pay model where the content is provided for free and people contribute as desired. Think street performer who has a hat or guitar case out for tips. Doing this in a digital way with Lightning is what he thinks the next evolution of content provision will be. Um, and not enough people willing to pay will result in the content no longer being produced. Um, we're already kind of there with Patreon and so on, but Lightning definitely takes it to another level as there's no longer a trusted third party. So uh, the, the problem today is that uh, a lot of people like to consume and not pay. Um, by making uh, making it, if the creator makes it clear, okay, if I don't get enough contributions, I'm going to stop producing content, um, that motivates the consumers to actually contribute. And I think that's that's the right model. This is, this is what street performers do. If you're not a very good street performer, you're not going to make much money, and then you kind of go away. But if you're a good street performer, enough people appreciate you to, like, actually put like a dollar or something into your uh, uh, you know hat or guitar case or whatever um, and that's the internet equivalent I think is what is coming and uh, I think uh, it's pretty insightful that uh, this this is ultimately the direction that the web should move into uh, so that we don't have to rely on free everything and ads and so on Alyssa Hertig summarizes Lightning's progress this past year as she points out the improvements on Lightning have largely meant a better user experience with less payments failing and more interesting applications being built on top. It's hard to remember what Lightning was like in 2020, but I can attest to the fact that Lightning payment acceptance experience has improved by leaps and bounds. 
here's to another year of significant improvement to come with Schnorr, Taproot, and more. So, um, you know, back in 2020, uh, you know, like trying to get a lightning payment through was actually quite difficult. Um, but, you know, there there's a lot more nodes on the network now. There's a you know, something called Plebnet that helps like connect a lot of that stuff. It, it's it's improved Lightning dramatically, and uh, the the user experience is a lot better. It's uh it's gotten to the point where people in El Salvador are using it for their daily needs. Um, there's more improvements to come with Schnorr, Taproot, and other things, um, and I expect uh, Lightning to get even better in 2022. All right, uh, let's talk about economics, engineering, etc. I wrote an article for a faith-driven investor making the argument that Christians need to understand money a lot better. The essay is meant to challenge Christians to think about the system of money rather than Bitcoin as an asset. The moral and ethical reality of the monetary system is almost completely ignored by the investor class. And the idea in this piece is to inject that back for Christians, at least. Uh, so it's uh, it, the title of the piece is called uh, "What What is Money Anyway? And... Uh, talking about how the current system of money is actually quite quite bad, uh, historically speaking um, and morally speaking and so on. So, um, you know, I, I, I wrote about it. Hopefully more Christians can understand the sort of moral case for Bitcoin. And of course, I've written the whole book about it. And that, uh, it's it, the idea is to get them to read the book. Lynn Alden shows why price inflation is a function of monetary expansion and not any of the other things that the powers that be are charging. She has a lot of graphs which shows the correlation between commodity prices and monetary expansion rates. Her main charge is what Austrian economists have been saying for a while. Inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. It's not some new form of human greed or some extraordinary event, but something caused by the central controllers of the currency. Send this article to your Keynesian friends and watch their heads explode if they haven't already. So uh, I, th I, I thought Lynn did an excellent job of showing why um, inflation is a monetary phenomenon or price increases are a monetary phenomenon and not something else. Uh, and that that's uh, that's what uh, what that piece is. Uh, and, you know, hopefully people start to get it instead of, you know, doing what inevitably will be suggested next, which are price controls. Fiat Yaf has a new protocol for decentralized social networks called Noster. This, there's already a beta site where you can use a BIP39 seed phrase to make an account. This is the decentralized internet that we've all been waiting for. And it's interestingly not bound to Lightning, but another network in of itself. I've been predicting that this is the direction that Lightning would take. But the more I think about it, this model may very well offer some nice benefits since there's no inherent need to keep the two networks the same. This is what should be called Web3. Unfortunately, that term has been co-opted by VCs for something else. So uh, the uh, decentralized social uh, networks, uh, the, the idea is that everyone runs their own server and pushes and pulls content or you know uses somebody else's server, uh, but you know like federated or something like that as a way to push out their content and consume content. Uh, it's a very interesting project and uh, you know, it doesn't use Lightning natively, um, but, you know, you can you can sort of use it in parallel or something to that effect, uh, which should make it interesting. Uh, speaking of which, Jordi Alexander analyzes how Ponzi schemes work and shows how all coins run uh, their con. The analysis here is refreshingly clear and starts from first principles, which any good analysis should start from. 
Web3, as he explains, is largely a Ponzi, though there's some hope for redemption put out in the end, such as gambling, memes, charity, and ads. Personally, I don't see any of those things as really a big value add, so even the best case scenario is not very good. So basically, uh, you know, he's he's a little nicer to altcoins than I am, but basically he's, uh, you know, showing how the Ponzi scheme is run. And, you know, you got to look at the value being input and who's actually benefiting and all that. Um, and vast majority of these, it's an outright scam. Um, he holds out hope in the end about like, uh, you know, okay, could it possibly have some actual use cases? Um, I, I don't tend to agree that those are real use cases anyway, but it, it is an interesting article. Stefan Levera reviews the year in Bitcoin and freedom. He points out the big news like uh, El Salvador mining movement, lightning adoption and taproot, but also some more subtle things like development funding becoming more diverse and privacy innovations in many wallets. The world has become more authoritarian and Bitcoin seems to be the one thing increasing our liberty. So uh, the whole world is going more and more authoritarian uh, and for an Aussie like him, uh, that's uh, utterly obvious. Bitcoin is the one thing that's going in the uh, opposite direction, which I, I, I think is uh, absolutely true. The Giving Block has a recap of the 55 million or so in Bitcoin that the pine, uh, that Pineapple donated back in 2017. If you aren't familiar, the fund was set up by an anonymous donor who wanted to give away most of his Bitcoin to charitable causes. There was a significant application process to make sure the causes weren't scams, but the report shows that many of these entities benefited from the donations, so I'm getting a nice kick to start their work. So um, this was in late 2017, basically this person basically handed out $55 million to all sorts of charities. Uh, and you know, the giving block decided to follow up and see what happened. Uh, a lot of these charities got their start with, uh, with this donation by Pineapple. So uh, very interesting analysis. Uh, yeah, uh, go, go read it uh, about you know, donations and so on. Some quick hits, Senator Lummis is poised to introduce a digital asset bill. Um, you can go read it uh, in that, uh, about it in that story. Radio Shack is becoming a crypto exchange, which is something that I would never have expected, but they do have a recognizable brand, so perhaps there is something there. Bukele thinks more countries will make Bitcoin legal tender. This is a prediction by um, a head of state, but who, uh, you know, who knows how good he is at predicting things. Polygon and F2 layer had a big reorg. This, this is uh, something like 55 blocks. I, I don't understand why anyone thinks that these things are decentralized. These are giant reorgs and things uh, like it's not secure at all. Uh, this is what B VC buzzwords uh, devolve into. That's a little bit of a joke that you can go take a look at. Um, but uh, yeah, go, go, go read the whole thing. All right. Uh, Events, uh, I, we will be having a launch party for Bitcoin and the American Dream in DC in early February, so please stay tuned. And I am planning to be in London for Advancing Bitcoin March 3rd and 4th, um, and in Miami for Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through 8th. I'll also be doing the programming blockchain seminars in London, right before, uh, London and Miami right before both uh, conferences. Uh, on this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Laser Huddle about the climate of fear that we've been in the last two years. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a trip. Uh, you know, uh, the, the entire thing is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not what anyone would call like 
conventional. He he definitely, um, how shall I put this? He he definitely says some things that you wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, normally say in polite company. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's uh it, it's definitely mind expanding if you if you want to uh, listen to it. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, and I talked to Robert Breedlove in part five of our conversation, this one about epistemology and a priori knowledge. Uh, This one explains why Keynesianism is so prone to wishful thinking and the difference between arguing by propaganda versus rational thought. So um, this is something that we explore. Basically, Keynesianism is is mostly propaganda. Uh, whereas Austrian economics tends to be much more first principles and uh, rationally deriving everything else. Here is the latest book, which is out now, Bitcoin and the American Dream. The other books, uh, my other books are Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and Thank God for Bitcoin, which you can also find on Amazon. Unchain Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchain.com. Fiat Delenda S. This song is done.